We're turning to the prophecy of Isaiah and chapter 32, please. Isaiah chapter 32, and just open your Bible there, and we'll ask the Lord to bless. Father, we need your help this morning. We need, Lord God, the Holy Spirit to come upon this word. Prepare hearts, prepare us. Settle this people this morning that we might leave aside, draw aside from all the mundane things of the week that is gone. That thy name would be glorified this morning. For Christ's sake, amen. An old grey-bearded Jewish rabbi was reading through Isaiah chapter 53 and he was stroking his long white beard. And as he meditated on Isaiah 53, he said to a believer in Christ who was with him, he said, tell me this, is the sorrowing man, the smitten man, the slaughtered man, the silent man in Isaiah 53, the same man in Isaiah 32 and verse 2? That's our verse and our text for this morning. Isaiah 32 and verse 2. And the man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest as rivers of waters in a dry place as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Now the answer to our bearded friend is yes. Most certainly it is. And if he would want scriptures to back it up, there would be plenty of them. In the epistle, Paul wrote to the first Corinthians in chapter 10, 800 years after this, referring back to 800 years before this, he talks about the crossing of the children of Israel along the waste howling wilderness. And here's what Paul said. They all drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Of course, I could have took him back, and so could you this morning, to many of the Psalms, to the great Psalm 62, 
He only is my rock and my salvation. To Psalm 78, where three times the psalmist speaks of him as the rock. Back to Exodus, where Moses hid himself while he passed by in the cleft of the rock. And I could take him to Caesarea Philippi, where, where Peter and the Lord Jesus was discussing they were discussing whom he was. Whom do men say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And the Lord turned to Peter, pointing to himself. And always remember that he was pointing to himself. He wasn't pointing as Peter, as the Church of Rome would tell us. He was pointing to himself. He says, On this rock, I will build my church. He couldn't have built anything on Peter for a few days after he was cursing and swearing. I wouldn't want a foundation like that. But he pointed to himself, he says, on this rock will I build my church. And then you can go on through the hymnody of the church, and there's so many of them. Roy called out the other night in the prayer meeting when I was meditating there in the seat about this message, O oh, safe to the rock, that is higher than I, or my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, on Christ the solid rock I stand. I think those things would settle it for our Jewish rabbi friend. Now I want you to notice here that Isaiah is not only given an illustration and a description of him as a rock, but I want you to watch the bottom of the verse because he says, as a great rock. A great rock. Of all the thousands of times, and there are thousands of times that we get the word great in the Scripture and the word greatness. This particular word here is only found three times. Now, it's not my business to go into the other two times. You can do that yourself. But it's just twice that this meaning of this rock, this great word great is. It means to be lasting and enduring and strong and weighty and unmovable, unshakable and indestructible. You see, friends, this morning, Isaiah is not just talking about a great man or a great rock. He's speaking about the God-man the man, Christ Jesus. And I think this is what would have baffled the old Pharisee because it baffles me. And I'm sure it baffles you this morning to think, as the words of Wesley, God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man, and that he was here 760 years before he came. He's here in, in the Old Testament Scriptures. Charles Wesley's hymns has so much to say about the rock. So when we think of these hymns and we think of the Scriptures, we are in good ground this morning. Now when we come to examine the Scripture regarding Christ as a rock, there are two doctrines. There are two doctrines that array themselves around it. One is the doctrine of salvation. And the other is the doctrine of preservation. I want to touch salvation for a wee moment 
But the text is, and our message this morning is on the rock of preservation and protection in a dreary land in the day in which, the day in which we live in. But let's just speak a wee moment on the rock, our salvation. And of course, we could go to no better place, and you don't turn to this, than to Psalm chapter 40, 40 that, that powerful scripture that we quote not all when we quote it, and it's so sad. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, but that's not how it starts. It starts with, he heard my cry. And if you're going to be saved this morning, there's one thing you will have to do. You will have to cry unto the Lord. If you're going to come up out of the pit that you're in this morning, onto the rock, you're going to have to cry from the depth of your heart. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. The Savior said, the Word says, Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, the psalmist says, hey, He brought me up. Well, that's not enough. It goes on to say, He brought me up, and He brought me out of the miry clay. See, there would be no use in just bringing us up and leaving us there. The part of I come from is notorious. There's a swipe of land down it's called Blue Till. I call it the Fermanagh uh, sticky stuff or the super glue, Fermanagh super glue. My father used to stick everything with it. Stuck milking machine pipes and water pipes. Boy, when you got it softened a bit and wrapped it around something, you would never move it. There was a, a family down there and they had an autistic son. He was 18 years of age and he was fierce. When he went up to the farmyard, you'd be afraid to get out of the car. That's, that's how fierce he was, frothing at the mouth. He hadn't a word. Such a sad state he was. And he went missing one evening, coming dusk. And the police were called, and the families called, and the search went around the fields and around the fields. About three quarters of a mile away, a policeman got him stuck in a gap in this miry clay. And he was bogged into the gap and they had to lift him out. And there was no use in taking him out. They had to take him up and had to take him home. And that's the rock that we were on. They had to take him out and pull the Wellingtons out afterwards. That's where we were. That's the pit that I was in. Before in his grace and mercy he lifted me up and took me out and brought me in and will bring, one day bring me up. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. So this is, this is what salvation is. He brings us up and he brings us out and he brings us into. This is a rock that shall never roll. It's strong. He is strong. He is enduring. It'll never sink. He'll never break. He'll never crumble. Oh, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. But it's not standing on the rock that we're after sheltering in it this morning. It's the preservation and the protection of the rock. Whenever we move up and move out and move on along the Christian road, there are the storms. And you better get ready for them. 
If you're going to stand firm in these last days, I'll tell you, I would tell any young man that says he's called to the work, you make sure you're called, and if you're not, flee. Because the storms are going to get fiercer, and they are getting fiercer as we head towards home. When the storms of life are raging, tempest, sea, and land, I will seek a place of refuge in the hollow of his hand. Praise God this morning that he's a strong tower and the righteous runneth into it and safe. He hideth my soul in the cliff of the rock. The cliff of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my soul in the cliff of the rock in the depth of his love and covers me there with his hand. Now I want you to look at this text, verse 2, because we're going to do what the Fermanaman does, do things back to front. We're going to take the text from the back to the front this morning. And I want you to get your eye upon it. That's the only scripture we'll be looking at. And if you ask the Lord to speak to you, I'm sure he'll speak to you this morning. I want to show you some compartments within this great rock, this fortress, where we can run into and shelter and hide. Just imagine that you go into this cave and, and there's compartments and they're all lit up. So there's one for each of you this morning, wherever you might be. Well, there could be dozens of them, but I'm going to deal with three this morning. First of all, for those in weariness, for those in weariness, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land, next door to that is lit up those in barrenness, in a dry place. And next door lit up as the next one is those that are in darkness. For when the winds of adversity and the tempests and the cyclone blows and there's neither sun nor moon or stars and all's black and all's dark and you're in a hole of a pit, then this is the one for you this morning. So wherever you are this morning, God has a word for you, and I trust that he'll minister to you. Let's look first of all at the weariness, the weariness, a great rock in a weary land. Now, we all know what it is to grow weary and faint and anxious. The popular word today is the word Stress, everybody's stressed. Police are stressed. I don't know what they're stressed about, but anytime I see them, they're sitting in cars. Doctors are stressed, and nurses are stressed, and bin men are stressed, and pastors are stressed, everybody's stressed. And if I were to ask you for a show of hands this morning and you were honest with me, you would say to me, Yes, I know what it is to be weary. I know what it is to be exhausted, anxious, fearful, for that word means all those things. Let me tell you from the Word of God this morning, we have to deal with the Word of God. Let me tell you from the Word of God this morning some things that make us anxious and weary and tired along the road of life. And you see if I am right or am I not. And the first thing the Lord showed me that has us 
Many so weary today along the road of life as we journey down this dry and barren land is the family, the children. There's a lot of parents and they're at wit's end with their children. You tell me how far you want me to go back in the Word of God and I can go real back to Adam and I can find out from there. But I go to Genesis 32, and here we have a family, Isaac and Rebekah and their twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And the Bible tells us that Esau became unequally yoked with a Gentile Hittite, sworn enemies of Israel, bred from those ones that are before the fighting with them this morning. And it says that the Rebecca and Isaac, they were, they were grieved and vexed because of that. And, and that was bad enough that Jacob was shaping up to go the wrong way too. He had the affair with the daughters of Heth. And Rebecca said this to Isaac, and to God, I am weary of life. I am exhausted and I'm stretched to the limit. And that word means life's not worth living. One son unequally yoked and another going that way. One unequally yoked with a Gentile pagan and the other going that way. Now, let me say this. Mixed marriages are completely out of order in the Scripture. I'm not talking about Roman Catholic and Protestants, but that's all some think about. Oh, now she's going out to the Catholic other side. I'm not talking about that. Or Jew or Gentile or Muslim or Christian. I'm talking about, I'm talking this morning about the saved and the unsaved. And if ever this needs to be driven home, mixed marriages are completely foreign to the Word of God, the saved marrying the unsaved. Do you hear that? Marriage is symbolically a union of the believer, the bride with the groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cannot link righteousness with unrighteousness. Or light with darkness. What communion has light with darkness? Paul hammers this out in the Word of God and many other places. I asked a man not so long ago how his son was doing. He said his son was a Christian. I heard that he was and he said that he was. I asked him how he was. Oh, he, 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 he's doing all right. But he's going out with a lovely girl. She's not saved. A loving family and great job and they seem to gel so well together and, and they're doing council courses for marriage and then the, the date set and the pastors counsel them. The pastors less sense than they have. Because you can't counsel your way into salvation.
There needs to be evidence before. Young person, I say to you this morning from the depth of my heart, there needs to be evidence before you take on that relationship. Is he in the prayer meeting? Is he interested in prayer? Is he reading his Bible? Is he around the Lord's table? Does he talk about the things of the Lord? It was the only time to please you and your parents till you become unequally yoked and it'll be damnable. Does it not work? That's what the Word of God says. Has he any interest? Has she any interest in the things of... Have you, have you heard him praying? Or have you heard her praying? Have you seen her with the Bible? Have they any interest in the prayer meeting on Wednesday night? Have they any desire for a family? All? What? Was there any change in his life or her life? Don't be fooled. A lot of God's people are fooled. But what to God that we had the discernment and the burden that Rebecca had. Whenever you're wearied with the boys and with the girls and with the husband and with the family and all that's going on in the home, then I say, and you're weary, run to the rock. And hide until the storm passes over. It'll pass over. But it's not only the family that wears us and exhausts us. That's number one, and we could go on a lot with that, let me tell you. But the other cave that's lit up here is one, number two, the foe. I'll tell you, Daniel 7 and 25 says, he will wear out and weary the saints of the Most High God. His business is to wear you out, my beloved friend. And he has so many ways of doing it. That word, that word there to wear out is to wound and consume and to wipe out. Douglas Crossman, that man who wrote that hymn and, and stayed with us up in the manse there for a week and done meetings down here, Douglas Crossman told us one day that he was driving along the road in Bath and he was going to a meeting and an unseen hand, he says, caught the steering wheel and pulled him out in front of an oil tank. And he knew and knew it was nothing, nothing but the powers of darkness. My friend, there's unseen dark spirits at work and we know nothing much about them. It's his job to weary out the saints of the Most High. In these last days, the enemy, Satan, is walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he could devour. We're all conscious this morning, are we not, of his devices and his methods. But let me tell you, the one that he uses most, the one that the devil uses most against the God's people, he attacks the mind. The mind. He's targeting the mind big time of families, of children, of everybody he can get his hands on. He's continually hammering and he hammers you on past sins. He'll tell the young believer your sins are not forgiven, you only think they are. And he'll torture you. He's a liar though. 
because our sins are not only forgotten, they're forgiven. We have redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The mind, he attacks the mind. The hymn writer put it like this, My sins, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought, my sins, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I was speaking to a man some time ago whose shoes I wouldn't lace as far as walking and preaching with God is concerned. Oh, Bertie says, at nights I get awful attacks in the middle of the night. Dull, dirty, filthy thoughts and things that I never even were involved in. My friend, he's real. And if God has any plans for this house and this place, let me tell you this. If you don't feel called and being in behind it, then flee from it because we're going to be attacked. We're going to be attacked. You'll not go for the children and not be attacked. Oh, he says, the thoughts have been awful. The filthy thoughts have been awful. Now, you might smile this morning and you might sit up very smug this morning, but you know what I'm talking about. And if we're men and women enough to admit it, we'd have to get out of our bed sometimes and get down on our knees and cry to God. Aye, the family wearies us and the foe wearies us and the flesh wearies us. John 4, he was wearied with the journey and he sat on Jacob's well. Let me tell you, if he was wearied with the journey, I'm wearied with it this morning. I don't think I ever was as wearied as I am this morning. Exhausted. And if he, if he gets weary and exhausted, don't you think it's strange if you come into some fiery tile that exhausts you to the very limit? So often I say to the Lord, Lord, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But this man was a man touched with the feelings of our infirmities and he knew just where we are and he knows all things about us and he'll not suffer us more than we can bear. Hallelujah. He knew about being wearied in the family. I'm sure they called him a devil and a demon his own brothers. He knew what it was to be wearied by the foe when he took on the powers of darkness on the Mount of Temptation. He knew what it was to be wearied in the flesh. Oh, I tell you, if you go into Gethsemane. And then there's another one that wearies us to fight. Get wearied in the battle. You wearied in the fight this morning. You go down to pray and you can't pray. You go down to read and you can't read. And you're just tired. Paul talks about the pearls in the waters, land, robbery, heathen, pearls in the city, pearls among false brethren. And then he says this, in weariness often. And let me say to you this morning as we travel down the road of life in this barren, dry land, let me tell you there's a rock and let me tell you we can run into it and we can be sheltered and we can be safe. Let us not be weary and well do it for we shall reap if we faint not. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. 
ليش الواقع مرفين Now the second compartment here is a barren one. The dry and barren land, the text says, come backwards, the shadow of a great rock and a dry place as the shadow of a great rock. Tell me, are you dry this morning? Are you barren this morning? Do you feel spiritually out of it this morning? And more and more and more believers are becoming like that in these days in which we live. We might draw near to God with our lips and our singing, but our hearts are far away from Him. Here's the spot for you this morning. Here's the place for you to go this morning because it says in this text that there's rivers, there's an essence of waters. Rivers of water in a dry place. This rock followed them for 40 years and this rock was Christ. And the women drank from it, and the children drank from it, and the animals drank from it, and the sheep drank from it, and the horses drank from it, and the camels drank from it. For 40 years, a million and a half people, along with all their livestock, he supplied them in the wilderness. My friend, he'll supply your very need this morning. The, 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 the rivers and the waters and the Word of God speaks about the Word of God and it speaks about the Spirit of God. John 7, and the last day of the feast, Jesus says, If any man thirst, are you thirsty this morning? If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For out of my belly shall flow rivers. There's an S in it. Rivers of living water. Let me tell you, you can get a drink this morning. You can get your quenched thirst this morning. You can get the barrenness and the dryness lifted this morning if you will come into this rock. If any man thirst, woman thirst. Are you tired of your barrenness? Are you tired of your coldness? Friend, I don't know when we start a new year in the church. I, I, I think that people should say, well, this is a new year now starting in the church and starting in the lifeboat, and the lifeboat's my church, and I'm going to get in behind them. It doesn't seem any sign of it when we're into October. You must be dry and you must be barren and you must spend most of your time doing other things. I don't know. It breaks my heart. When I tell you there's, there's bread and despair, there's waters in abundance, there's everything to be found in Christ. When Sarah was barren, her and Abram ran in here, and they got Isaac. When Rachel was barn horn, Jacob ran in here and they got Joseph. 
when Elizabeth and Zechariah was born, they ran into this rock and they got John the Baptist. And whether you feel like it or not this morning, lift up your heart and say, Lord, this morning, I don't want to be barren and dry and cold anymore. And quote Isaiah 55, is it, O barren thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. Enlarge the place of thy tent and stretch forth thy curtain of thine habitation. Rivers, rivers of living water. If you will flee this morning, my friend, listen, there's a place for the barren. There's a place for the dry it is in this rock, rock, Christ Jesus, the rock of all ages that will supply your every need. Why don't you drink the well is deep this morning? Come by faith in this morning. Make business with God this morning and say, I'm coming in. I'm dry. I'm barren. I'm thirsty. I can't, I can't go on like this. I don't want to go on like this. Caldwell Dara said to my wife 30 years ago, do you want to stay like that, Pat? Do you want to stay like that? Well, thank God she didn't. Do you want to stay like that? Hmm? Do you want to stay like that? Well, stay like that. And whistle up. And still have rouse in your family and rouse in your home and rouse in your marriage and rouse with the children because you're not coming into the rock. We're going on. The last one is the darkness. Oh, praise God, there's a cave. Praise God, there's a refuge. When the storms are blowing and the tempest beating and the hurricanes blasting, you couldn't get more fierce than this. My friend, you never want a hiding place more than you needed in the beginning of this text. And the man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and the tempest and the storms and the cyclones. All that is mixed up in that. Oh, when there's no sun or moon or stars, Paul said for 14 days and 14 nights we were hammered up and down the Adriatic, never saw light. You couldn't have got any darker. You couldn't have got any fierce. You couldn't have got any worse. And the Lord brings his people at times into places like this. And maybe you're in that dark place this morning. But he's brought you into the darkness so that he can bring you into the light. This, my friend, he can bring you to the harbor. It takes the storms to bring us into the harbor. And the storms will drive us closer to Him. Because you will learn nothing without the storms, without the tempest, without the trial. You, you, you learn nothing in the sunshine and in the good days. You learn them in the trials and in the storms of life. That's where you learn to trust Him. I don't know if some of you farmers will remember the haystacks. Maybe you don't, but before there was silage pits, 
My father had, and farmers round that part of Fermanagh built, when the haystacks was full, they built haystacks out in the field. One was called a pike and another was called a stack. And pikes and stacks, there was a, one field we called it the stack field. That's where the, every year they built a stack of hay and thatched it to preserve it for the winter. But you know, the rats used to come in during the winter, in under, in for the warmth and in for the seed. And you were sure when you went to pull the, the thing down for the winter for the cattle, you were sure we had a terrier dog and my father used to bring the terrier. And other men had terrier dogs and he used to watch, leave them at the, for, and, and hit the fork in and pitch in and squeeze in and the rats would come out. Do you ever see a terrier as a rat? Did you ever see a terrier going for the neck of a rat and shaking it? I did. I tell you there quick. But you know, that's nothing new. Listen to what Job says in Job 15. Listen to what Job says. And man, you hear ground to speak. My, some of you have a cold and you complain to God. Listen to what Job says. He taketh me by the neck and shakes me to pieces. Wonder did he see the tower that he was a farmer? He takes me by the neck and he shakes me to pieces. Do you know, what, do you know anything about being shaken to pieces? Well, take the call of the Lord on you and go into the Lord's work and you'll know about it. Again, I say flee if you haven't the call of God. Do you know anything about being shaken to pieces? Put this whole crowd together now as I close this morning. The family, the foe, the flesh, the fight, and flee by faith to the once smitten rock, the rock Christ Jesus. Run this morning and take all your troubles and all your trials and whatever they may be and run and lay them at his feet by faith and say, Lord, you promised to preserve me and protect me and so he will. Bless his name, so he will. He knew what it was to be smitten. And let me say this as I come to a close this morning. He had nowhere to run. He had nowhere to hide so that we would have a place to hide. He had nowhere to hide because when he hung on the cross and stripped naked and crowned with thorns, he, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? His own father, he had nowhere to go. He was forsaken so that we would never be.
forsaken so that you would never be forsaken sinner. Forsaken so that you would never be in your trial, in your trouble, in your storms, with the family, with the home, with the work, with the finance. Listen, get your priorities right and flee to the rock that is higher than I and shelter there. Shelter. I thank God, Israel, has a rock this morning. I couldn't help but think when I heard the news about them coming in and slaughtering hundreds of Israelis. But not only that, they took their women and they took their women and their children hostage. The only scripture that came up in my mind was Ziglag. David says, he wept until he could weep no more. They'd taken the wives, they'd taken the families, and it's the same crowd. But then it says this, David recovered all. I'll tell you, they'll recover all. How foolish men are to fight against God. Friend, Israel, though the, the rabbi has no rock this morning to go into, for they don't believe that Christ is the rock. You can stroke the beard all the like. You can read Isaiah 53 all the like. He's the same man. He's the same man. And he'll cover you. He'll cover you during this week as you go down it. He'll cover you. He'll cover your family. He has been doing that. He has been protecting you and blessing you. And Sylvia and Trevor was protected the other day. Praise God. We have a place to run into and a place to hide. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, O oh God, as the storms of life arise, shelter us, Lord, Cover us, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we go down into this week, that we may praise the Lord God of heaven for all his mercies, all his grace, all his love, all his goodness. Oh, God, forgive us for complaining. In Jesus' name.